Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Bear with me in the sound of my voice. I'm dealing with a cold, sucking on a lozenge, and trying to have some tea to feel better. Going to give some love to Chelsea, who has to put out some figurative fire at work. Because I know she'd like to be here because she is a fan of our guest's work. Writer, director Tyler McIntyre is on the show today. Hello, Tyler. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. <clears throat> In the interest of full disclosure, because I'm uh, honest with my listeners, if nothing else, we fucked this up last week because Skynet gave us a lot of technical issues. So I want to thank you from the outset for your patience and understanding and working with us to be on the show today. Thank you very much. Hey, that not a problem. It's an ongoing struggle against our robot overlords. <laughs> ah, that that frequently is a problem, and you've dealt with technology and uh, internet things in some of your work. But let's go a little bit before that. Where does your love of horror begin, please? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I uh, grew up uh, watching a lot of uh, horror films on uh, usually on uh, VHS. Uh, I had an older brother who was pretty into into scary stuff and was, you know, reading uh, Stephen King from a pretty young age and kind of got me into that. And um, yeah, I, um, you know, so so uh, there was always copies of like, you know, Fangoria and stuff like that, like, you know, hanging around the house when I was like, you know, six or seven. And uh, and so I we started kind of. Um, um watching uh, a lot of horror films uh, primarily because um our like we didn't have uh cable uh mm -hmm. and so there was like you know uh my my dad had gotten in a fight with a cable guy and we lived in a very small town where there's the only the one guy who installed cable so as a result we just never had cable in my entire childhood and, and so it's left me with a with a massive deficit in my television knowledge uh and uh and a an, uh, surplus in my uh vhs horror knowledge so uh it's uh you know um Six one half dozen the other, I guess. Let's hear it for those of us, myself included, with some hot-headed dads who didn't mind renting horror movies for us. But you mentioned Fangoria. Um, and uh, so with, with that in mind and jumping around a little bit, your most recent film, It's a Wonderful Knife, was recently on the cover of Fangoria. So how'd that feel for you? I felt great. You know, I, I, uh, I you know, lifelong, uh, lifelong fan. So it, it's, uh, it, it was, you know, a bit surreal. I was, I was so pumped. Like then they kind of like, uh, they sort of hint at it, uh, you know, cause, cause they sent out someone for a set visit angel who came out. Um, he's one of their main uh, writers over there. And, um, so she came out and, and we had a good time on set. I was super busy that day. So I didn't get a chance to, you know, talk with her as much as I wanted. And, um, uh, you know, but when they decided to kind of go with the cover, like uh, both myself and then uh, Alice, uh, who was our uh, like onset uh, photographer and, and and shot the um, or directed the the like making of documentary for the for the movie, is uh, like you know ended up taking this kind of epic picture of of our our killer kind of covered in blood and and so that ended up being the cover and and we were all just pumped. <laughs> I can understand because my day job is set dressing and props. And I don't understand, I mean, I love reading about it in Fangoria, but I don't understand how a writer can go to set and maybe actually interview anyone involved in the production. Because even though there's downtime for a lot of things when cameras are being turned around, and a lot of hurry up and wait, 
mentally, I don't know how you could give someone at your full attention as they ask questions which aren't about specifically what's coming up next on the shot yeah. list. Yeah, no, and it's tricky. Like, um, I've had a couple of set visit uh, type of scenarios over the years with with um, you know, various journalists, and uh, and and it, you know, it's I mean, it's it's weird because it's a different headspace. Like, uh, it's and uh, you know, when you're at when you have a project coming out, you kind of get into the zone where you're doing a lot of interviews and and things like that, and you kind of um, develop a certain skill set and comfort of kind of talking about the project sort of in in retrospect and kind of what it means and what your intentions were. And you get kind of like a sort of a set of like, you know, ways to kind of think about that. Whereas you're still figuring that out when you're on set and you, there's so much just flying at you usually, um, especially with a schedule like ours. And so, um, you know, uh, it's hard to find, you know, the, the literal time to do it, but I find that most of the times I'm, I, if someone's doing a set visit, I have to talk to them on like my, uh, on like the lunch break. And, and even then you can, you can sort of take a minute, but you're not like really in any position to give any quality answers. So so uh, we definitely had to do some follow-up uh, chats later on to kind of get my head straight. Uh, I'm, I'm not a director, but I know that there's, there's crunch time. There's a lot of things to keep in mind. You've got a lot of uh, unshaven near-do-wells like myself telling you, okay, we're, we're on it. It's going to look great. <laughs> and you kind of have to trust them to have everything set up, what you like, and then get out of the way and, you know, then then somebody like myself can go to crafty, get a coffee, and then wait until it's time to fly back in with with something. So one thing that's always been curious about me with uh, night sets, night shoots rather, particularly exteriors, how do you keep morale going as you're late into the night? Especially, uh, everybody always says it gets darkest before the dawn. I find it's coldest right before the dawn. How, how do you you maintain a, a high level of, of positivity and productivity when everybody's just waiting for that sun to come up? Because like that means you're done automatically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, uh, yeah, like, uh, so uh, the movie, uh, our It's a Wonderful Knife, was actually like 80% night, you know, like there, you know, because it kind of mostly takes place on this kind of one night. Um, but uh, in different realities. And so you kind of get to artificially stretch it out a little bit, but it's um, uh, yeah. So as a result, we, you know, we were just shooting constantly, you know, nights, like I think, you know, like, you know, whatever 80% of our schedule was, was at night and, and, and it's, we were shooting, shooting during the winter, but uh, so it was still kind of cold, but there wasn't actually 12 hours of darkness. So like for those uh, who are unaware, like uh, the average shoot day is 12 hours ish. Um, and so you, if you don't have that much darkness, then you can't even really shoot a full night or, or for like a full day worth of work. Um, so you sort of plan for what is normally a full day with the stuff, but then the sun starts coming out and you can't shoot anything else because it's not going to match. And so, um, uh, but uh, yeah, we found that like everyone got pretty loopy, um, you know, and, and a lot of it was just staying warm and, and like, I'm, you know, not the most energetic person in the world. So I try and uh, keep things light, like uh, just in terms of humor wise and kind of like doing doing uh, extra takes uh, about uh, or that are like maybe a little sillier to kind of get the sort of, um, you know, that sort of weirdness energy out, um, you know, um, but but I try and keep things efficient, keep things moving, have a good plan going in. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's mostly about just um, uh, celebrating the successes, like when you've got a shot that really rules, you know, make keep the energy, you know, kind of celebrate that and, and let people know that you're happy and that you're, they're doing a good job. And then they get really invested in it and, and things get, uh, things get done. You know, it, it, movies are best when, when everyone kind of rallies behind uh, uh, a sort of 
or pushing it, rowing the same direction. Um, I agree. I'm glad you mentioned humor because uh, your films that I've enjoyed have a lot of humor in there. And speaking of someone that does a, a horror improv comedy show, to me, that's that's hot sauce and, and chicken wings. It goes together perfectly. So uh, at what point in your uh, coming of age did you realize that you can meld horror and comedy and as as two things that go well together and uh, end up proving to be quite entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, uh, like some of my earliest movies were kind of horror comedy-ish, like, like, you know, stuff that I was doing, uh, you know, kind of in, in high school and, and, and whatnot. And so um, I, I've always kind of had it in, in, you know, the back of my mind. And then there was a lot of good horror comedies that kind of came out when I was in college and kind of like, you know, getting into more professional filmmaking, like stuff like, um, like Shaun of the Dead and like Zombieland and stuff like that you know, Tucker and Dale versus evil. And so I, um, when you're, when I was kind of looking for like my first, um, movie to direct, um, uh, like I, I initially had wanted that to be a pretty straight up horror film. Um, uh, a script I wrote called the dissections, which was very, um, uh, like, uh, kind of dark horror. Like it was a bit of a, um, it was a bit of a, um, like I would say, uh, to be too dark like it was a bit of a send-up of of the stuff we were seeing in the kind of like you know saw era you know like, like where things were like there was like no humor you know how it's like illegal to laugh in a saw movie and, and you know like and uh, but it's and, very legal to laugh at a saw movie yeah exactly well i mean eventually you know but like we were kind of you know like you know it was like you know saw five and everyone's still playing it straight and we were like come on guys like you know and and it was just like humor became it became like very like people rebel like i think after scream and then like scary movie and all this stuff things became too light for people and you had to kind of remind them that horror is scary and then that lasted for about 10 years and and i'd written a script kind of on the tail end of that that was sort of critiquing that idea and so it was sort of like an absurd kind of satire of 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 like those sorts of really grim movies and um and uh it was it, the script people really liked the script and we responded to the script but but they were looking at the short films that i was making at the time and they were and they were all kind of whimsical sort of romantic kind of fantasy sort of sort of stuff and people were like well what business do you have directing a horror movie and um and then i ended up being like oh shit i gotta make i gotta make another short that's like a horror movie and so i made a short called patchwork which was two minutes long um but was more or less about like a frankenstein uh sort of character uh a female frankenstein character um named stitch and um and then people really responded to that short and rather than being like, oh, because you have this short, we can make you, we can let you direct this other movie, you know, thing. They were like, is there a feature version of this short film? You know, like, and, and I was like, oh, God damn it. And so then in, in writing the like, um, you know, longer version of that, I ended up pulling from a stuff that I resonate a lot more with, which was like, you know, stuff like Dead Alive or like, um, you know, Reanimator, you know, like uh, those sorts of like kind of splat stick kind of 80s movies. And, um, and, uh, uh, and that's kind of what that movie became. And, uh, and I was, uh, very thankful for it because I'm much more comfortable with that aesthetic. And, um, and, uh, but then once you kind of make one horror comedy, it becomes a lot easier to make another horror comedy. And then once you make two horror comedies, then that's all you get asked to do for 10 years, um, <laughs> which is again, fine. I love horror comedies. Um, and, uh, but you know, I'm hoping to pivot, you know, to either more straight horror or more kind of other thing, a, a different genre slash comedy, you know, uh, just to kind of uh, broaden my horizons a little bit. I, I feel that horror and comedy are kind of yin yang as you're trying to get your Definitely, audience yeah. to have some kind of involuntary 
bodily reaction because you know you can stifle a laugh but it's not going to work or you can pretend to be brave when you're scared but you know deep down inside you know the truth um mentioning the the inadvertent comedy of saw uh after the most recent one my girlfriend who had stopped at three was like okay let me re-watch those and i've been re-watching her with her we recently watched five and the movie starts and she asks, does Costas Mandalore get a little buddy in this one? And I honestly couldn't remember, but just the tone. Because <laughs> Jigsaw had Amanda, that was his little buddy. Yeah. Who, who doesn't need a sidekick every once in a while? And speaking of yeah. great team-ups, uh, I'm sorry, you were saying, Tyler? No, no, no. Uh, no I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think, uh, you know, you kind of bring up a good point. And that's something that I often talk about uh, uh, when asked is, is that like a horror and comedy are really, um, you know, very complimentary, but, uh, you know, they're both grounded in misdirection, you know, like you're always mm -hmm. kind of like leading people one way and then also, bah, you know, you, there's a scare or whatever. And then you're, um, whereas a lot of comedy is kind of meant to be like, you're sort of leading down one path and then you do a little uh, reversal on that and and i think because of that they they you can um use them to very much offset and kind of palate cleanse like on a moment to moment basis as well as like with bigger story swings and um you know and and it's just in, inherently funnier when something is supposed to be scary and inherently scarier when something is supposed to be funny you know like and and is you know the opposite you know and so i think there's it's you know like with it's wonderful knife like we obviously had a lot of fun kind of juxtaposing the like cheery christmas imagery with like horrific murder and and i think that's um you know something that that always gets um that kind of you know um uh sweet and salty uh kind of uh complimentary flavors going on it, it's it's one george carlin line i remember all the time it's like you can joke about anything what matters is where your exaggeration is and that works in both genres as as big as something can be as shocking as it can be it, it's what delivers that that knockout punch that great punchline either comedically or horrifically and uh, as i was saying speaking of big team-ups i think the first movie of yours that i saw was tragedy girl which i loved uh i i like female driven well, thank horror you. thank you uh you're welcome um i i think if we support more we'll get more of it and it also gives me an insight as an old like what are what are the kids doing because you know for me growing up it was all 80s slashers uh wet nudity which i like and but the times change things change with it uh internet and social media becomes a thing so the idea of these two brilliant brassy young ladies killing people for the likes i could see that happening in in younger generations that seem to crave fame more than anything else so a little bit of social commentary but these two young ladies are wise beyond their years and played uh brilliantly by uh, the actresses uh, yeah, Alex and uh, Brianna Hildebrand. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they 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 are great. So, how did that uh, project come to be? Um. So yeah. So that was it. Was an interesting uh, story in that um, we ended up um, kind of being brought on to rewrite a script that existed called uh, it was called Tragedy Girls and and uh, so uh, uh, our executive producer owned it, a guy named Kerry Rhodes who was actually um you know um, people might be familiar with if they're football fans because he used to play for the Jets. 
and he'd kind of been transitioning sort of out of pro um, pro athletics and kind of into entertainment. And he really is a big horror fan. And so he had ended up uh, buying this, this script that he kind of liked to sort of uh, kind of glance of. And, um, and then once they kind of started developing it, they realized that like, oh, it's not like, it's, it's pretty far out. Like, you know, like, and people weren't really making slashers and, you know, it was, it was a bit too late to the party. Like it was sort of um, felt like I really wanted to be part of that, like nineties kind of horror cycle and ended up, um, uh, you know, it was just written 10 years late. And so when we got on it into 2015, uh, we were like, why aren't people making slasher movies anymore? Like, and and like, what can what else can we bring to it that are, um, and this was, you know, like, and, and right now there's a lot of slashers coming out, but like back in 2015, there was a real like, like other than, other than, um, I would say like Hatchet, there's really, which is a bit of a send up, like there was like a good 10 years where there wasn't much slasher stuff getting released between the original Saw and 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 when, 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 like tragic girls came out like the same years like happy death day and like all those movies and so um it's uh it's been a uh you know so it was it was a bit of an uphill battle to convince people that that we should make a slasher and and we kind of sort of backed our way into this idea that well um what if we kind of feed the audience uh these cliches of like of like you know it's a it's a bunch of teens making out in a car and then um and then the you know this killer shows up and kills the guy and they start chasing the girl through the woods and then and then what if they turn kind of flip the script on them a little bit and like you know turn around and and like you know and then the, then the killer ends up like tied to a chair and they're like oh my god we love you we've seen everything you've ever done like you know can we um you know we want to we want to be you how do we be you you know kind of thing and 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 then uh, you know take us to this weird narrative place where we're kind of behind like our main our main protagonists are the killers themselves and that's something that was always um uh you know you look at movies like Friday the 13th and like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, like those classic kind of 80s slashers. And like, those are the characters that people remember. But the thing is, they're not the main characters of the narrative, you know? And they're also always like very male driven. There's not really a lot of iconic, like female slashers. And we really wanted to um, see if we could do that. And and the best way to do that is to give them, you know, the main character's uh, power, you know, like the point of view of the story. And so, um, but in order to do that with killers, like um, you end up in this weird place where you, you now you're given scene if you're if you're in their point of view, you're with somebody trying to murder somebody, which is a little weird, you know. And and so we had to find like subversive ways to kind of get around that and still make it a little scary or a little funny. And so there's uh, so we tried to kind of harness the idea of like, well, how do we remain empathetic to these people? And and how do we keep identifying with them? And it and it really came out of like everyone can identify with a best somebody having a best friend, you know. And so that became a lot of their, um, uh, you know, uh, the type of um, uh, stuff that we were trying to feed uh, feed the audience to to kind of engage with it. And and it and it and it worked. Like some people are, are unwilling to accept the you know the idea that they're rooting for killers, but um, but you know we I think we're able to open up some really fun story opportunities and and uh, and 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 you know it it was relatively successful in terms of like it was uh, a set you know it, it, people really tuned into the satire of it and that's what ultimately we're trying to do is this satire of this doses disassociation that kind of happens to you when you sort of see things online you kind of forget that there's somebody else at the end of this at the end of the phone and you you feel totally fine like making shitty comments and laughing at people's misfortune and all these things that you wouldn't dare do in real life and uh and there's this um kind of um coldness there that, that i think is really interesting to dissect I definitely agree because at the core of it, the the friendship of Sadie and Michaela is is the glue that pulls it all off, and everything else 
is is complements it so well from the comedy from uh, another thing that confuses me and, and we've done an episode about this why ladies love true crime and are fixated on it uh to an extent uh some of our guests were kind enough to tell me it's part of partly a survival guide and i appreciate that um and even the little things that i've noticed it seems to me you had two easter eggs in that film one was a jaws style shot that mimics Roy Scheider on the beach where you're zooming in on the tragedy girls. And the other one was the principal on the flagpole seemed like a shout out to cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the flagpole thing for sure. Uh, that was definitely, you know, anytime I can sl slip in a cannibal Holocaust reference, seriously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, Jaws, not specifically like, okay. um, yeah, like uh, that's a very specific uh, technique called, uh, called, well, either they call it dolly zoom or, or a stretch. Um, uh, where you're essentially like keeping a subject kind of with the same framing in regards to the to the edge of the of the of the uh, the composition, but you're changing the focal length um, and therefore and the distance at the same time. So you're like zooming in and 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 dolling out or or, or the opposite of that. Um, and so you see that in like vertigo, like um, like if you ever saw. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, they use that to kind of make someone feel dizzy. And, and the, weird, the weird thing is, is you're going from a wide lens to a long lens, mm -hmm. but trying to keep, trying to artificially move the camera to, to compensate. And it, it has a very weird warping effect to it. And the best version of that, the best use of that is probably that scene in Jaws, where he's like watching the, the kid get eaten uh, on the beach. Um, there's a really good one in Goodfellas as well. Yes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of very good examples of, of that being used. Um, and we weren't, I don't think, particularly like being like, oh man, Jaws, we'll look at Jaws. You know, like it, it, Jaws is a, one of the greatest horror movies ever made, but we really just wanted something that had a little uh, disorientation to it, but would but would put you in the point of view of their anger, you know, like, and they're like, you know, this, the flip switching when they when they decide that they're going to kill somebody. And so when we use that because, you know, we, we pair it with all the deaths and then then you sort of have them kind of turn on each other using that same camera technique and and it was really just a vi little visual language thing <laughs> rather than a specific reference i guess yeah cool cool yeah, it just jaws is what comes to mind first uh the goodfellas shot also similar but it's done a little bit subtler yeah uh, and it, it's a shot. it's a two shot like mm -hmm. in the, you know yeah where, whereas ours is also a close-up similar to that that roy scheider shot so so i could see why why that would make sense yeah. Um, another thing that stuck out about this film is Craig Robinson, primarily known for comedy, getting into a horror movie and getting taken out in a pretty realistic but also disgusting way. So how, how do you explain to someone who might be more comedically minded, like, here's the gross thing that we're going to do? I mean, uh, you know, he got it. Like, like Craig was actually on first. Like, he was originally came on as a producer, um, cool. and so, so we were. Um, and he was kind of like on the fence about whether or not he wanted to be in it. And, um, but he kind of came on. He's like, regardless, I want to, you know, produce this, help the guys get made, get this made. And then once we got the um, Alex and Brianna on it, he was a big fan of, of, of both of them. Um, and so he was like, no, no, they think this is gonna be really funny. I want to be in this. And so he ended up taking um, uh, the part of of. Of Big Al, which was kind of our sort of secret hope uh, from from the beginning, which is great, and uh, yeah, um, so it didn't require that much explaining. He really got the comedy of it, um, and uh, and so he was I knew that he was going to have a fair amount of leeway, but he was quite like I think a lot of people think that he just makes stuff up all the time, like he's like you know he's obviously a bit of a master improviser yeah. comedian, but I think there's this um, 
you know, because of the Judd Apatow movies he was in and stuff like that, there's a bit of an expectation that he just makes up all his dialogue and it's hilarious. Um, but he, he kept relatively like pretty close to book, you know, like, and, and I, I had to kind of sort of throw some curveballs at him to get him to loosen up, but uh, in some of the, some of the stuff, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he really tuned into it, the, the tone. I mean, he's just a very um, smart, smart performer. And, um, and so I didn't really have to like hold his hand about, about the horror stuff. Um, and I, and he was really excited to see like the, the bigger, like fake dummy version of him. Cause we had to build that whole body, you know? So he was like, just, he took a bunch of pictures with it and stuff. And it was, it was pretty fun. Cause I don't think he, he's seen like a lot of, like, I don't think he gets killed a lot. So I think he was, he was kind of excited about that. The FX element stuff. He does get to live through a lot of things. Uh, somebody that doesn't always get to live through a lot of things is uh, Timothy Murphy, who mm -hmm. I, can be very imposing, but in this, he 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 seemed to be a little more sympathetic as the town sheriff. But that big Deadwood mustache in the film definitely—he felt to me like a man out of time, trying to do what's best for the town. But I felt bad for him because I had a feeling he was not going to succeed against these young ladies. Yeah, and that's the kind of like like we needed somebody who would like see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Like we mm -hmm. need somebody who who was like sees kind of sees through these girls to a certain extent, but can't quite put it together. Like like and even though if he has suspicions, he can't really like you know there's too much you know against him. And and uh, there's something um, very sad about his character. Um, and Tim is like the nicest guy in the world. Like like if you ever met him, like he I know he plays like such badass guys and like sons of anarchy and stuff like that and he's, he's a bit of a like yes he's a bit of a tough guy kind of um kind of vibe to him but uh, in real life just a sweetheart and uh and really friendly and great with great with the crew great with the other cast like him and jack quaid were like going like horseback riding and stuff like that on the weekends to like get some father-son bonding time and it was it was uh very sweet and um but yeah i can he, picture that yeah, and he showed up with with the with the mustache, and 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 I was like, oh, and he's like, I kind of want to keep it because I feel like it's a bit throwback, um, and and I sort of like my you know, and and we did talk about like his character kind of represents this this kind of uh, you know, like like he thinks he's Burt Reynolds or or, or something, you know, and uh, and and he's and they just don't have time for it, you know, and and uh, you know, the because the movie is so much. Uh, rooted around around Alex and Brianna and and uh, the Sadie Michaela characters, um, you know, as a result, like the Jordan character that Jack Quaid plays and and uh, and the sheriff who who Tim Murphy plays just end up eating a lot of shit because they're just they just don't get it. Like you know, and, and it's uh, and they're kind of thankless parts in a way because they're they're propping everyone else up, or they're propping the the two leads up and playing kind of um, getting sort of um, just steamrolled like like ultimately and and that's uh, you know I, I think part of the fun of it. And and it is a lot of fun, but you know, with that ending, I've I've got to ask: Is there a possibility for a sequel? Yeah, I'd love to do a sequel. Um, uh, it's uh, um, you know, like it, it uh, yeah, you know, not really up to me, um, because uh, I don't I don't I own any of the rights that would be involved. But um, you know, we, we've had ideas over the years, and uh, uh, you know, it, it does set up pretty hard for like kind of they're going off to kind of. You know, live their life and kind of get away with it, and that there's a fun kind of irony in that. And uh, so, like, I don't think it's a bad place to end it. Um, but uh, you know, there there was definitely uh, it was intentionally open ended um, because um, you know I I do think there there's a way to you know like many slasher movies, there's way to ways to have fun fun continuations. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in the '80s, there is that part of me that wants the movies I love to become a franchise. Uh, 
just I don't know. Maybe it's just just how I was raised. It's like <laughs> eh, keep them going until eventually it's tragedy girls in space, and then you can end it there. Yeah, I mean that'd be fun. I'd love to do something in space. <laughs> well, if, if film it in New York, I'll set up your cast chair. Anyway. <laughs> Um, and most recently, and, and you've mentioned it already, your latest film, It's a Wonderful Knife, which is some good holiday viewing. You've, you've mentioned your killer. It was on the cover of Fangoria. How hard was it for the wardrobe people to deal with blood splatter on a killer whose costume is completely white? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. We didn't really have the budget to make like tons of multiples of it because it's a lot of fabric. Um, and so you have to kind of like, A, there's like the purchase of it, but the labor of it. And and so, yeah, we any of the big kind of dousings that he goes through um, uh, were not, uh, you know, we, we couldn't do like a lot of takes of those, you know, as really, and we really did them all kind of in one. But we kind of made this, um, like because after we did some fabric tests, like there was a fair amount of attention paid to it. Like I thought it was a fun challenge to not make the killer dressed in black because uh, all killers are dressed in black and they're always hiding in shadows and stuff. And so we wanted to kind of try and hide him against like surfaces that were like snowy and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, try to find different ways of having him kind of enter and exit scenes. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a fun challenge, like, uh, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I know it was a little bit frustrating just to keep it generally clean, but um, yeah, we uh, uh, had a lot of fun with the mask design and things like that, that were kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, it be, but essentially in these kind of fabric tests that we did, it became apparent that like, it wasn't great if he like, um, you know, sort of uh, got damaged and, and stained that, that would carry throughout the whole film. It would just be too much continuity to keep a, tr a track of, but also it really undercut the like, angelic vibe of him and, he, he, and he's supposed to be kind of bring to mind a bit of a graceful kind of tree topper kind of angel and uh and if he was just starting to get kind of brown and caked and shit like you know it wasn't as cool so we had him kind of at the beginning of every kill kind of go back to zero like mm -hmm. he was changing into a new thing or or they often they were far enough apart that that that's not a problem but but yeah it was something that we we, we chatted quite a bit about i do like the idea of uh christmas themed horror as someone who does not like that holiday at all uh, for various, and, uh, in my opinion, kind of obvious reasons. So the juxtaposition of, of, of fear and, 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 and murder with the holiday makes a lot of sense. But the, the parody that all of us have seen on every sitcom that I grew up with, they're probably still doing it now, of the story of It's a Wonderful Life, somebody realizing you know what would have happened had they never been born and trying to make things right uh where'd the idea come from to put that with a slasher movie and the catalyst being uh, uh seemingly aurora borealis yeah um I, I mean i don't know like, like people give give us uh or, i mean I, I don't know like the aurora borealis uh element like is i think very very um uh you know like it's it is somewhat based on an actual like uh like um you know legend and and so i you know i, I was very um concerned about you know because in the original uh like it's a wonderful life uh they just make a general wish you know and and so i wanted uh um we want a kind of a visual component we wanted something that kind of it was kind of pretty but then kind of like moves a little bit and so it kind of became a bit of a character into itself mm -hmm. and um and uh, just nailing down exactly what that looked like and how we we're going to do it was was um, you know required a lot of a, a lot of attention. 
Um, and somehow makes it believable in that time of the season. Like, of course, yeah, this is what this this is how time travel works in this. Yeah, story. it's kind of wintry. It's kind of magical. Like we're asking people for a big leap, you know, either way. But but it, it helped to have that visual cue for us, you know. Um, and and you can see like at the end of the movie, there's like a bit of the, um, you know, like once uh, things start to get darker in the in this in this new reality, we see, um, you know, part of the aurora borealis uh, kind of light reflected in people's eyes. You know, as they're kind of like a bit, I'm um, kind of giving themselves over to to the sort of darkness that's kind of uh, pervasive in the film. <clears throat> and <laughs> and you got a lot of comedic talent in there as well, uh, Justin Long and Joel McHale doing stuff. Uh, Justin Long, known for comedy, but really is quite a horror veteran and different in almost everything so far. And the visual of his character of the mayor is very striking because it's got that that hairstyle that I associate with uh, European uncles of mine that I don't trust because, like you know, you, you're it gives off to me, and this is certainly me projecting. It's like this person is full of shit, but then you add it with the tan and the very white teeth. It it's it's disturbing before you find out his involvement in the murders of this town. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, um, like we wanted a bit of that um kind of small town huckster kind of like, you know, used car salesman sort of vibe to him. And and, and we've talked about a lot of those, those kind of like it's a kind of a baby boomer sort of like thing, like, you know, like a well-coiffed kind of like, you know, thing in the spray tan. Like there's this sort of gaudy kind of ideal of 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 what male um kind of handsomeness is that it is sort of put on and um and we you know really unpacked some of that and and justin had a very clear idea of what he kind of wanted like to kind of the, the way he sort of wanted to help create that and then we worked on like the voice and stuff together and he was leaving me like voicemails you know like like in the in character and stuff you know and and it was like um you know trying to figure out exactly what it looked like and he was taking you know he's um riffing on like joel olstein and stuff and like conceptually, like I was trying to think of it as a bit like, because we're sort of playing on, um, like initially when when I was getting into this movie and starting to kind of break it down, like my mind went to like Home Alone, like kind of like that's like a, a Christmas movie to me. But um, then I realized that like for mo for like currently Christmas movies are very much like TV movies, you know, like they're kind of like mm -hmm. the Hallmark movies, you know. So we need to kind of trade on that iconography a little bit. Like we can't be, I mean, Home Alone is fucking 40 years old. Like, you know, like, or not 40, it's 35 years old. But, Close um, enough. But still, it's like, it's way back in the public consciousness. And even though it's a fundamental thing, and so is It's a Wonderful Life, obviously, or It's a Wonderful Life, the original, um, is is um, kind of long in the tooth. Um, I wanted to riff on, on some of the Hallmark tropes and kind of be a little bit like, um, you know, like uh, like the the bad guy from a Hallmark movie had his like real estate scheme spurned and then went on a kill, kill, you know a kill crazy rampage, and that's a fun space to be because I think you can sort of comment on the type of stuff that that is being consumed now and which is more interesting to me. You know, did you save any of those Justin Long voicemails? Uh, I, I don't think I'd ever delete them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll double check. You know, I'm actually kind of curious now that you bring it up. <laughs> Because because hearing that voice, if it was speaking to me specifically, my initial reaction would be like, oh, that's weird. I don't like that. But I'd probably be amused 
buy it because I know that character is uh, fictional and not coming to get yeah. in my sleep. <laughs> well, he had do, he did a really good job of like everything's like, hey, how are you doing? You know, like so good to meet you. Like it's very um, creepy, condescending, overly nice. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's never going to be um, you know overtly threatening. You know, and and there's something scary about that because I, I I and that's my experience with like really bad people in real life are often the the um, you know will never actually admit that they're that they're nefarious you know and and i think that's scary on, on a certain level and something that we don't really um you know um see as much because you know when you're making a movie in order to dramatize stuff you always have to it's better if everything's explicit and and i and i think there was something about like the politician side of it that, that is inherently pretty pretty off-putting oh, yeah. the new yorker in me automatically gets nervous around people that are overly friendly upon meeting them it's like what's your game what are you trying to pull mm -hmm. on me especially with that disingenuous vibe that he gives off it's like all right i want to see where your hands are and make sure my wallet's still on me <laughs> it's certainly the, the the feeling that i got uh from this film but also there the, again there's the heart of of winnie uh and and uh who's her and bernie. Uh, yeah. Our friend, yeah bernie bernie thank you that name escaped me for a while thanks rona brain um coming to accept one another as they are and it, it gives that that the soul of the movie a lot of times in in horror even though a lot of the movies i love a lot of the slashers those later sequels, you know, you're, you're meeting characters, but don't get attached. They're going to be ground up into nothing really quickly. There's not going to be a lot of development. The time spent with these characters in both realities fleshes them out and, and makes it feel like you made a friend by the end of this movie. A fictional one, but still nice. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's my favorite um thing about the movie is is the is the kind of the way the relationship turned out, and a lot of that comes from the credit kind of goes to uh, um, uh, Jane and Jess, and and the kind of um, you know, as we were going through rehearsal, kind of the sort of chemistry and the way they were attacking the relationship, um, you know, uh, uh, it developed into 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 something that that I think was um more genuine and, and more interesting uh, than it you know was on paper and it's always good when you can get to a place like that where you can sort of um you know collaborate and kind of make things better and uh, bring an, an extra layer to it and that's you know what i usually hope for as as a director is you know and it doesn't always come together but uh, but you have to kind of be open to it when it when it's there and when it's when it feels right another thing that that uh, really hit the ground running with this film is that that first kill uh with the the killer coming through that that snowman um what was that like to shoot because uh that, that was, was the fangoria yeah that was the fangoria day actually uh that was the uh, uh the day that uh, angel was there um it, it was like a um uh so yeah so it, it was a bit rushed uh like because because we had sort of ended up with it at the kind of the end of the day and so so we knew we had to kind of blow up this snowman so that the person could sort of jump through it. But then we realized like, oh, they can't actually jump through it because there's going to be like a tube cannon thing that blows up the snowman in the middle of the of the snow. So um, so therefore we had to kind of shoot sort of plates for it. And um, and then uh, then we had like, a you know, we had uh, William B. Davis, who is the cigarette smoking man from the X-Files, was there uh, as the person who's getting attacked. And, you know, so we have a stuntman because he's 85 
So we have like a stunt man who's like 12, who's like standing in for him, you know, and, and it, it was like a very, very weird sort of thing. Like, how do I sell this in a, you know, in the cut with this guy in the wig and the, you know, and so we had to, uh, and my whole thing was like, I just wanted to be brutal and quick. And so it ended up, um, uh, but we really only got this one take of, of, of him actually dying with, with his like throat slit appliance yeah. and like the blood pumping and stuff like that. And I guess the, um, I, I, you know, with the effects, uh, I guess the, someone had left, someone had put the blood outside. It was, it was like in the, it was, it was in this big canister and they had like put it outside, um, uh, you know, like between setups or something like that. And, and it had gotten really cold so that when they were like pumping it on him, it, it like, it like really, like really reacted to like, you know, in this way. Cause he was just like freezing and, 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 you know, and God bless me stayed with it. And I had no, you know, I had no idea. Um, but we didn't quite get him like actually dying. And so I sort of had to kind of trick it, um, you know, a little bit with some, uh, a little bit of visual effects help um, because, uh, you know, we just, I mean, it was, you know, again, the end of the day and, you know, he, he was you know, like likely going to, if we requested it was probably going to refuse doing it again and, and probably for a good reason. Cause you know, that, that shouldn't really happen. And, um, but anyway, it, it ended up uh, kind of working out and, um, but he was, he was definitely a sport and I'm, I'm, I really, you know, I really wish we, you know, um it, 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 you know it's weird when stuff like that happens because i do th feel like he gave like a really cool reaction because of it but again it's like it's also like that's also probably very you know like you know like you don't you don't want to expect something being like the body temperature and then all of a sudden you jump a little bit but that that's a day on set it could be a happy accident but it's not something you really want to put uh an 85 year old man in that level of uh, yeah, discomfort totally and he, he was such a sport about it too in the first place you know like coming out and doing this you know the uh this long dialogue scene with joel and and justin and uh and uh yeah i know i'm i'm, I'm glad I had a good experience you know working with him and i think the scene turned out well um you know so it's uh um but i wish he had a slightly more comfortable uh last shot so yeah i've been on sets where like stunt people uh, and, and this was early in, in, in my history of being on set where it's like, this seems like they might be taking a couple of liberties with them. They're, they they are people. Let's make sure they're okay. But I was just doing background stuff. I'm, I'm not in charge of anything. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, and there's this kind of a uh, strange, like you have to be kind of like cognizant of it because like people are, um, you know, um, like uh like, it, like when you're covering people in blood there's this tendency of like oh it's uncomfortable to be covered in blood we got to clean it off as soon as you yell mm -hmm. cut but the thing is we clean it off you're gonna have to add it on when we do the next shot you know what i mean the next mm -hmm. shot but, you know what i mean like so um and sometimes it's better just get covered once and then stay that way for the for the hour or two you're shooting that piece and then get cleaned up rather than get cleaned up added cleaned up added cleaned up added and even though that feels like it would be more comfortable, it also would take longer and and probably be less comfortable. And so it's, you know, you have to be kind of uh, mindful about that workflow. And sometimes you have it straight in your mind as a director, and maybe you've talked about with an actor, and maybe like you know the onset makeup doesn't get it, you know, you get that memo, and you know you have to kind of get on the same page about that stuff. But um, you know, it's all just all just set stuff, you know, you know. I, I appreciate you mentioning your your mindfulness uh, because with. Last year, all of the strikes with the uh, streamers, you know, basically boasting about record profits, then claiming poverty when it comes to paying residuals and, and writers. It seems that there's a lack of mindfulness in the business for what, it, in my opinion, seems like really basic stuff. 
So do you have any opinions on on what the the movie and TV industry was like in the past year of uh, people struggling to try to get what, in my opinion, they rightfully deserve? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I'm not WGA, you know, I went and picketed and, um, you know, like I, I was... Um, uh, on strike um but but like we had shot this movie right before the strike so i was actually kind of in post and um so we you know kind of got in there under the wire where we were not as affected by the the strike as some things we just sort of barely missed it um uh but uh but yeah i mean a lot of my friends and you know and, and um, myself to a certain extent have been sort of affected by the the kind of ramp down in production um you know i definitely think that um uh you know uh we you know people need to fight for whatever they feel is, is, is right. Like, I mean, I, I don't a hundred percent, you know, I, I think that like all of the points are something that, that affects me directly, but, but like, I do understand the idea of, of like, we have to kind of stand together in order to get anything, you know, um, uh, cause, cause you see like, uh, you know, like the UK industry with, with television and film, it's like, you know, hanging on by a thread because there is no way to do kind of class act or like, um, a, a unionized labor action in the same way. And uh, and it's really uh, been been tricky for them to get any any sort of um, control or recognition or anything like that, and it's um, uh, yeah. So so I I definitely um, um, I don't know how, how much insight I I I have, but I think that um, uh, we went through this kind of when like Netflix entered the marketplace, and this is not news to anybody, but um, but they there was this they were doing business so differently from everyone else. That everyone that the other businesses were like we're missing something, we're gonna get left behind, and they all started kind of chasing that 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 thing. And then when it was sort of revealed to be um, handled much more like a tech business than a traditional entertainment business, and essentially is um, like a lot of the difference between a lot of like tech um, uh, business and and a lot of entertainment businesses, a lot of it's based on speculation. Like you you start developing a new technology that is in theory supposed to re revolutionize some some industry some sector and and then that um becomes valuable in a speculative way and then usually you get a bit you get a flux of cash when you go public or somebody buys you or something and and then that is considered like your market value like oh my god like i made a company that's worth two billion dollars or whatever and um netflix had that going on where where they uh were like they were growing like crazy for 10 years and people were like oh that's the future and then you know, you, um, but once you, and then once that kind of, they kind of hit the top of that a year and a half ago, um, people were a bit like, oh, well now, now what and now? And now like, they don't quite know because they can't quite grow and they, um, and they can't spend the same amount of money. They can't like keep setting, you know, um, they can't still spend the same amount of money producing all these shows. And so like, we went from producing like 300 shows or something in like 2012 to like 700 shows like two years ago. And like, that's a lot of growth in television and, um, and on feature, the feature side, which is where I mostly work, um, the projects are inherently self-contained in a lot of ways. Like you can have a slate of projects, but generally speaking they're they're kind of like the profit and loss is kind of like easy to see in terms of like this movie costs this amount of money and it made this amount of money and therefore it's a success. Whereas in television, it's so it's really hard to see because you don't you know the budget per episode, you don't rarely know the budget for a whole season. There's also a lot of other things like rights and stuff that are all above that, and then the overhead costs of the studios and all that stuff. So like, um, and then you, you it's hard to you can see the ratings of a show, 
but like, and that's only one revenue stream. There's merchandising and stuff, you know? So like, you don't, it's, it's really hard to tell how a television show did in the streaming model because there's no, we don't even have Nielsen ratings. We don't mm -hmm. have like those sorts of, uh, that sort of data, it's all privately held. And so what it did is, is because you had to staff all these shows of all these writers and all these, you know, um, making 700 shows, uh, people kind of started working in the industry being like, I've worked on three shows. And even though those shows may have been canceled after a season, I still got paid X amount of money. And I feel like that's where I, where I, what I'm worth and I'll be worth, you know, but they may have worked on a show or multiple shows that, that were not successful enterprises in of themselves. So therefore like they, like the studio might've lost money on the show that the, you worked on and, um, and, and what they paid you was fair, but they, but that was not a successful thing. And therefore they're not going to do it again. And therefore that job is, you know, so, so we might go from like making 700 shows down to 300 shows again. And now the people who are working on those 400 extra shows, where do they go? And so it, it's a bit of a weird thing because like, I feel like we're going to see a bit of a contraction um, and, and a lot of people who like fought for, for better pay are, aren't going to be around to get the jobs to, to, to earn that pay you know like like and and that's just because this like i think because we were sort of chasing this weird sort of dream um that was very where we only had kind of part of the information and now all the traditional studios have sort of um tried to follow the netflix model to a fault and and then and the netflix is model has now shown a bunch of cracks in it then it's 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 gonna get weird and uh but you can only there's i think as an individual artist all you can really do is you know, like participate in the union voice, your current concerns and have them fight for what you think you would be best to make a living at or a best way to do to for longevity in this industry. And then, you know, treat it like, you know, one fight at a time, like, you know, you try and get the job and, uh, and try and find the stories that you want to tell. And, and I, I don't really, like, I think if you try and keep the whole uh, system in your head, it's, it's impossible. It, it is very difficult. I am very concerned because I know, uh, IATSE, my union, and the Teamsters, their deal is coming up in a few months, and another strike is another possibility, which means another bunch of people uh, striking with us in solidarity, and uh, more people not working, which isn't great, because I don't want to go back to working in an office, Tyler. That That's not as much fun. The stories no, totally. I, I, are not I, as yeah. good. Yeah, I, I I get it, man. Um, and you know, like I mean, I was uh, in um, IATSE as an editor, uh, a local seven hundred for a couple of years, and uh, you know, like I, I I you know I worked I accrued a lot when I was when I was kind of on my way up, and 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 you know still kind of do when I, you know, on, on other people's stuff, um, just for, just for fun because I like making movies, and um, uh, you know, and 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 it, you get to a certain point when you're uh, in entertainment where you you can't really do anything else, like you know, mm -hmm. like it's like what a you know. But I mean, that was the big challenge originally was like, oh, I need to make a living here. And now that I'm doing that now, it's hard to transition back to something else. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, uh, but I mean, I don't know, like, what do you, did you think, uh, like, if they came up with a strike, uh, strike vote today, would you, would you vote to strike? Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, especially, you know, if, if some streamers, I'm not going to name names, if they can afford to make rockets, they can afford to pay crews and writers and actors and directors and uh, wardrobe, all of the people that make it happen that they can afford to build that rocket, they can afford to be paid a living wage and medical benefits and maybe even time off if they wanted it. 
That's just my opinion. Yeah, I um um yeah, uh I I I agree. Um there is um some uh you know, I mean I hope there's there's a general reckoning. Um uh, you know, it, it's been interesting cuz I was I was I was really hoping that like after the SAG and um and uh, writer strikes were uh, uh you know settled that there would just be like a a big you know burst in production and then a lot of stuff was going to get shot so that people were all working and doing well you know like by the time this iatsi strike you know stuff came mm -hmm. around but it's that's not been the case like right. and so i feel like it's going to have the opposite of the desired effect because well, i think there's part partially you know there's a certain strategy that would be like oh because you know, they're already kind of hurting. Let's keep them hurting more so they'll settle quickly. I, I, I think so. After a couple of years of a pandemic, yeah, uh, the mentality is that, you know, like they, they don't, they just want to get back to work and they'll take what they're getting. Yeah, and I like, and that's the thing. I think that's the thinking, but I also think there's a certain contingent that's like, well, I'm pretty broke now and I'm making a living doing something else to, to, until the industry picks up. Fuck it, you know, like, like, like you know, like let's really like make it you know like and and the thing is like i think you know they got to shoot something like you know mm -hmm. i think people are really noticing the fact that like you know there was all this talk of stockpiled you know like material for for a long time and then then you immediately saw a slowdown in like the number of series coming out and like i you know there's fucking nothing to watch right now um across all the platforms and and and, and i think that as soon as people start being like you know i don't need seven streaming services i need i'll take two you know um i think that's going to be um, that's the only way to kind of, you know, make people uh, change their tune, yeah? Especially if you're raising the subscription rate and adding commercials, which, I don't know, it's just the aging punker in me that's like, if I'm watching a movie and then a commercial gets thrown in, I automatically hate whatever product that is and won't buy yeah. it. But, yeah. uh, but speaking of, of things and, and creations, when we were setting this up, you mentioned that you were writing something and i understand sometimes you got to keep something secret but is there anything you can tell us about what the future holds for you um yeah i mean we're, I mean, i'm always writing stuff uh uh you know here and there i'm, I'm writing a spec right now with uh chris uh hill who i i wrote um um uh, uh tragedy girls with and patchwork and um vhs and um we did a bunch of drafts of five minutes of fridays together and um and so uh it's kind of my my main writing partner and uh uh, and we're working on another uh, kind of a ghost horror movie. Mm. Yeah. Any any comedy to be a little bit, a little bit. There might be some chuckles, so. a couple of chuckles, and uh, so still in progress. Or yeah, know. yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're about halfway through. We kind of all right, uh, all right. Know, well, it's um, something to I, look I, out I for. A little downtime right now, so you got to enjoy the downtime when you got it and 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 take some some fun in it and i've enjoyed my downtime and getting to watch uh, a lot of movies including yours uh and i thank you for that so as we land this plane where can the people find you if they want to find you on social uh, media or anything yeah, that you want to plug yeah i'm i mean i'm on i'm i'm on instagram at uh ty mcintyre and i'm at uh uh, T Mac film on Twitter. Uh, I would say Instagram is becoming my favorite for mm -hmm. various, very obvious reasons. And yes. uh, um, yeah, uh, and uh, it's a wonderful knife. It's uh, Blu ray on April 9th, uh, uh, in case anyone uh, wants to check it out on home video or physical media. Um, physical we... media is important. I, I love Shutter. 
Um, but you know, sometimes uh, movies come off of there, and uh, you don't want to be inconvenienced by that. If if you really like a movie, I like to have a copy when a friend of mine says, "I haven't seen this," and I'm like, "Well, sit down uh, and let's pop this in and enjoy it to our full extent." And uh, it's a wonderful life. But nothing. But another thing before I get to my plugs. During the pandemic, I've enjoyed going to drive-ins. I never got to do that growing up in New York. And in looking for safe fun, got to attend some, some double or triple features in a safe environment outdoors. What would you pair It's a Wonderful Knife with if you got to curate your own double feature for an audience in a theater or a drive-in? Ooh, um, I mean, I saw a... Um uh like i saw it as a double feature with it's a wonderful life uh at the rio theater in vancouver which was pretty fun um but i also i actually think it'd be fun to do with like um with like the bill murray like scrooged mm -hmm. or something like that because they're both kind of like like I, I i like you know i think that the original um it's a wonderful life is is you know like borrows a lot from the charles dickens a christmas carol and so therefore i think scrooge uh, uh you know like has uh, is obviously a riff on that and so it'd be kind of a i think it would work better than um than some things given the kind of deadpan nature of the comedy and that's like practically a horror movie uh <laughs> as you know with the yeah, i mean there's some scary stuff in there and um yeah so i think that would be my pick for for me for a yuletide double feature i'd, I'd want to throw it in there with silent night deadly night too sure yeah yeah just to classic just to you know and, and, and number two too not not yes. the first one yes yeah, which is like you kind of see yeah. two is most of one but you know you yeah. gotta have your garbage day moment yeah it's a bit like like it's so funny like i remember um like i saw silent night deadly night to the same night i saw evil dead too and i remember being like the ways that they that they treat flashbacks back to the first movie is very different and uh you know like and uh and i remember it was a very confusing evening at the movies but um uh overall but uh but yeah that's uh um yeah that'd be a fun pairing for sure you gotta challenge yourself once in a while with with you what you watch it might expand your mind a little bit um but yeah you can check out spooky doings improv on facebook our next show is going to be saturday march 30th at 2 30 at young ethels in brooklyn uh it's a free show two drink minimum we're going to tell true scary stories and improvise scenes off of that spooky doings is on instagram and i'm at rick guzman 718 on twitter tyler Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me and to talk to our listeners. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you very much from the heart, sir. Of course, glad to do it. Thanks so much for having me. Cool, and for all our listeners, everybody stay good, stay healthy, and stay spooky until next time. <laughs>